Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and I am for once not joined by Ushin Collins, but instead we have a special guest this week, Big Joe Shep from Three Blokes, A Ball and Bod. All right, thanks very much for inviting me on. It's, uh, it, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I've been working with you guys now for a, a while and um, yeah, we're another joint venture for Three Blokes, A Ball and Bod and uh, looking forward to this very much. A great weekend of rugby so far. Yeah, it was really good and like me and Ushin really do enjoy coming on to your video show on Facebook all the time so it's really great to have you on the podcast yeah cheers but it's uh, it, it's a mutual thing it's rugby family that's what it's all about that's it so this week we're talking about round five of the pro 14 but first we'll take a look at the news from the rugby world and we'll start off with p show's odd announcement about this rugby league yeah well you see I, I, the jury's out for me Porrick, to be honest i think that the concept is great i mean at least they are trying to do something about the global calendar uh, from a player management and welfare perspective. Yeah, I like the idea they're trying to fix the issues with the, the global calendar, but I think something like that of ring-fencing the top 12 nations is just going to increase the difference between the haves and the have-nots. And we'll speak of the haves, and New Zealand have retained their rugby championship. Uh, yeah, I watched the game uh, last night, and to be honest, it was a slightly different Pumas team than what we've seen recently. And had they played as well as, as they did uh, against the Box and the Wallabies, that it would have been different. And South Africa beat Australia, and you really get a sense they're building towards that, the World Cup. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think Australia have got massive problems. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Michael Checker fan, um, but I just don't think the players are playing for Australia. Um, interesting, obviously, when we spoke to uh, David Campesi this week, you know, from grassroots all the way through, there's a major issues with Australia. Well, at South Africa... I think are uh, Razzy, great coach. Uh, and I think that regardless of what anybody says about the quota system or anything else, I think he is building a good team together. And it's great to see some of their play. Yeah, it really is. And in major international player news, Joe Marler has retired from international rugby at, at a quite a young age for a prop. Yeah, I, I, I saw his interview last week um, and he's retiring at 28 for uh, personal reasons. I saw him a couple of months ago um, and he was doing a podcast and his heart wasn't in it and I think that's a problem I think it's it's affecting his family life and I think you've got to look at there are more things to the game of rugby the modern game now where it is as he said himself it's just relentless and and the pressure I mean we covered this a few weeks ago on Three Blokes for me when we looked at player management and welfare I think you're going to see more and more people uh, younger players who, who are just walking away from it for the sake of themselves and for the, the families, for both mental and physical reasons, Borg. You're dead right. Any person that wants to retire from rugby to spend more time with their family and has outside interests and their folks better served on that, they should do it when they have the ability to make that choice themselves, unlike poor Kieran Gaffney, who has, was forced to retire this week after that horrific injury versus Connacht last season. Yeah, it's very, very unfortunate. Uh, you know, young lad in there just really coming into sort of prime of his, his career and his life, you know, lots going for him. And it just goes to show the very small margins in a in a player's you know one injury can cost a player, God forbid, his life. But it, we've it's seen happened, um, let alone a horrific injury which he just can't come back from. So I was um, devastated to hear it. He, he came up through the academy in Connacht, and Indeed. there's so much goodwill for him out west. But I think that's the news broadly dealt with, and we'll jump straight into the Pro 14. And on Friday night, Cardiff beat Cheetahs 24 points to 21. And for me, that was a really scrappy opening 20 minutes. Both teams weren't really at the races. 
Uh, yeah, look, I feel you summed this game up by looking at how both sides have been this season and last, uh, to be honest. Uh, Cardiff won some great games last year. You know, I mean, the, the semi-final against Edinburgh and then the final in the European Challenge Cup. Um, and indeed last week, look look the devastation they did, you know, in the Pro 14. I mean, they show how they can come back and win, how they turn defence into exploitable opportunities. I'm going to get into my Great British menu bit now. However, <laughs> they, they make so many silly mistakes um, that they leave some results behind them um, that really they should win. Last year, won 11, lost 10. Bonus points, five wins, five bonus points losses. Small margins and a bit more consistency will see them in the, uh, the semis this year, I think. But like, yeah, like I was saying, it was a really scrappy affair. Cards just kept letting cheaters away with murder. They should have been 21-7 up at half time. But like a lack of composure saw them waste so many opportunities and they only go in 10-7 up. Uh, yeah, th- that's the issue. One of the great things for me with Ellis Jenkins... Uh, the, the Welsh flanker continues to get better and better. He controlled a lot of things at, uh, at the breakdown. Yeah, like he, he really did have a good game, really imposed himself on the Cheetahs. And you could tell that because the Cheetahs, their set-piece attack was very deep. They didn't want to get brought into the game line. They're trying to suck Cardiff out. And especially with Cardiff's kicking game, which is completely wrong up until the 65th minute or there, thereabouts. You know, but they did just enough to win outside a few very dodgy TMO calls across the game. Uh, yeah, I excuse me. I I wasn't really sure what was going on with some of the officiating across all of the games this weekend. I was, I was thinking I could do better myself, but in the end, um, the uh, that that first try for Cardiff and the second try for the Cheetahs they equaled themselves out. Yeah, we we'll move and so we'll just move on to the strengths. And for me, Cheetahs scrum was very strong, and well, their set piece in general. It was, but but again, uh, Nye Jones. I love to beat. He's my favourite ref, but. Uh, coaching the scrum all the game, it's not needed. Set your stall out before you get out there and let them get on. The scrum, as a, as a retired tight head prop, the scrum now is becoming a bit of a bugbear for me where it is just taking so long to reset and reset and uh, it's just, it's not needed. And, but I think Cardiff, uh, Cardiff pushed hard and they wanted to win. But I think they need to work on the basics first rather than trying to get a bonus point win every single time. Is the issue. They tried to get the bonus point before they'd won the game. It was really weird. Like, no one played incredibly well, but like you said, Jenkins was a standout. But I thought Lilo, Halaholo, and Morgan and Tornbull, they just raised Cardiff's level enough to get the win. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you think that um, Cardiff are, are missing Nick Williams a lot? I loved him when he was at Munster, and I think he's a real talisman in, in, in the pack, and I think they looked less threatening. Th- that, that's actually one of my core weaknesses, and we'll move on to them for Cardiff. Like, when Nick Williams isn't playing, they don't have that pure line breaker in the back row will always get them that through two or three yards especially in that five meter channel towards a try line that just puts the fences on the back foot and it was he was missing yeah definitely i mean i, I it's uh it, it's again it's small we use this word all the time don't have small margins but but it is one player can actually make such a such a change um for the cheetahs i i think they're lacking squad depth um i i love the way they play obviously i follow them uh, a lot um but that again, they're, they're almost a 60-minute team at the moment and, and they let the intensity yeah. drop off a little bit. Um, and that's yeah, a it's, it's an ongoing issue me and Ushin have been talking about. They're just, their fitness doesn't seem to be at the races. They lost their best players over the summer and they're just at a point where this year is another rebuild for them. It's going to be a tough, tough time for them. You know, if they can shore up their defense, if they can get another sort of, uh, you know, three or four players in to, to, to give a little bit more depth, one or two more marquee players, you know, they need to find their money from somewhere. 
because I love the South African teams. They're not afraid to uh, mix it. They're not afraid to open up wide. And when they do, it's fast and it's and it's and it's really exciting. But what lets them down every single time is um, is the is the D. Yeah, you're 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 not wrong. And two teams that are also playing Friday night, Edinburgh and Benetton, played out a, a fairly thrilling thirty-one to thirty victory for Edinburgh. It was a great game. A lot of rugby was played. You know, a really enjoyable first half. In the like for me, in the opening twenty, Edinburgh really forced the issue too much, and they left a lot of points behind. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think uh, Edinburgh coach Richard Cockrell uh, will be pleased with the first half uh, performance from Edinburgh. They were strong at the scrum, they had good line play, and, and they did the basics well. They took their tries really well, but they still had the same issues they had versus Leinster about not varying up their game correctly. They're almost going wide for the sake of going wide at times, as if like just going pick and driving two for two more phases, then going wide. It's just like, all right, we're here now. We didn't go wide this week against Leinster. We'll go wide now instead. But Benetton, though, they play some beautiful rugby. Yeah, I, I mean, they did look. Uh, they did look a little bit tired. The coach beforehand said that they were they were a bit tired from the travels, and it seemed to sort of the first twenty minutes they were jaded, and they were looking tired, and they weren't sort of really in it. But then, uh, yeah, look, when their try came, it was uh, I think a beauty. I think you'd say definitely. Like they just spread the ball so well, they offload so well. Sometimes you do think it's the All Blacks. Uh, yeah, uh, and and they go from nothing to that, and I think that's what the surprising thing is. Um, I mean, you know, they they never give up. You know, they're trying. The twenty third minute was was something I think will be held up for potential try of the season, certainly team try of the season. From from a quick throw in on the left hand channel, uh, they went through the hands of around about nineteen players right across to the right hand channel, where the New Zealand ball Jaden Haywood waltzed through three Edinburgh players. I mean, uh, Cockrell won't be happy with that defence, but it was sublime. It really was an entertaining game, and as in conference match as well, both teams went hammer and tongs. But you know, as a strength, me and Ushin have been talking about Benetton's resilience is incredible. They just they always find a way back into games. Yeah, very very much so. They just refuse to quit. You know, they show some excellent offloads and ball in hand. Um, it, it's just again with a number of teams uh, like this, like uh, the Italian teams like Cardiff. I think the word consistency is something that they need to get in more. But let's not forget where they've come from over the last couple of years. You know, there was people calling for them to be kicked out of the Pro Twelve as well as Italy to be kicked out of the Six Nations. Look. They come, they come a long way in a short time, and I, I love watching them play. Yeah, and Edinburgh, overall, they had a great set piece, a strong scrum overall. So they're in a healthy place. I, I think that for Edinburgh, it, 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 the quick line play shows how they can exploit opportunities very quickly. For me, Porog, it's indicative of the way Scottish rugby has gone. If you look at how Scotland uh, play in the internationals in the last sort of 18 months or so, if you look at the way that Glasgow have played, you know, some of that quick um, ball offloading, it's, it's really exciting. And you can see why some people are saying that Scotland for 2023 Rugby World Cup, not necessarily to win, but that will be their coming of age. You can see the way it's changing now. Definitely, but what Edinburgh will have to work on is there's quite a first half team. They faded big time in the second half. Yeah, they did. Um, and it was pretty evident because of how good they played in the first half. They lacked their first half consistency. They had it all sewn up at a bonus point by 60, whatever it was, minutes, 61, 62 minutes, whatever. Uh, they let uh, Benton Treviso back in. And, and such a cynical and crazy yellow card by Gilchrist, you know, collapsing them all on 71. I mean, making work hard for themselves. Cockerell must have been pulling his hair out. That's pure panic stations because of how Benetton just don't seem to give up. Apart from not restarting strong, 
Benetton grow into the game, like, yes, they, they have a bit to work on across their game, I'd say. Uh, yeah, they, they do. Um, there, there wasn't actually, for me, there wasn't actually that much weaknesses from, from the Benetton side. They definitely need to watch their defensive scrum. It's slow on occasions. And that led to, to one of the tries because their back line was so slow um, at, the, at the scrum that they were just left a, a gape a gaping hole. Um, however, leaving eight points from misconversions costs you games. Yeah, and especially a game you lose by one point. When they've worked so hard to crawl themselves back in time and time again, um, I think Paul E. McKinley will be sort of thinking... Ah, well, some, some, some you win, some you lose. Yeah, exactly. So we'll move on to Saturday, and it started off with kind of a low-key game almost. Zebra hosted Ospreys and got fairly comprehensively beaten. Eight points to 22. Um, yeah, a, a scrappy game overall for me, Horrig, to be honest. Uh, poor defence at times, let Ospreys take control. Sam Davis was was a standout player with 17 points, and, uh, and a well-taken drop goal, actually, which came from, from when he had nothing else there. Um, great quick thinking. Yeah, I was I was expecting more from Zebra, to be honest. You know, they have a big pack, and they can quite command the game fairly well. But if they're playing this poorly at home, especially conference rival, they're going to have a very long season. You're absolutely spot on because the winger Bellini had a couple of superb kicks on the nose to, to pressure Ospreys, but but they, they they were to be to be honest in isolation, but they stood out because of how poor they were elsewhere. Um, Ospreys made very effective use of the choke tackle um, and turned uh, uh, Zebri over on a number of occasions. You know, Ospreys would play the ball as wide as often as they could, so I think they had a real clear game management and didn't allow Zebra anywhere near. I could only keep half an eye on this match because of, I was heading up to the sports ground to watch Connacht. I saw Tipperick being his usual Tipperickness. But like, Michael Bradley will not be a happy camper. On strength basis though, Ospreys, I think Sam Davies is coming into his own. Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I, he has the ability to back himself. Like I say, that drop goal, if anybody gets a chance to watch it on the uh, the catch-up. Um, he, he couldn't go anywhere and all of a sudden it was like... I tell you, bang it in, and it was that was it. It was done over, and it's having that faith in yourself when you're part of a a great team. There was one point on the uh, zebra try, which came about on about 69 minutes. It was from a clear knock on by the zebra player. Now I'm not sure what the ref was doing, but he said that he played advantage to um, Ospreys, but Ospreys were were, were the defending team. I, I don't know that at all. Anyway, it led to a try. Uh, from a clear knock-on, but um, the Zebra coach, Michael Bradley, will be very, very frustrated with that performance. It hasn't been the performance that they we've seen so far from him. No, and like, talk about how he won't be happy. The weaknesses of Zebra and things need to work on. Like, there is a, f- a few. There's a good, I'd say there's a, there a lot of work on from that match, especially at the breakdown. I, I was very surprised that they were only committing one man generating the breakdown. It didn't work, uh, and they should have adapted better, but they didn't. They kept trying to do same old, same old. They gave away far too many turnovers. You've got to adapt your game around, and they, uh, especially when you're at home. And yeah, it was poor overall. It was poor. And Ospreys, especially from boot, wasn't the team where you we usually expect. Uh, no, I thought the, the the kicking from hand was was very poor. I, I felt the use of box kicks was, was telegraphed, and they lacked the ability to change. We'll move on to Saturday evening, and at quarter past five, there was a small game in the sports ground that no one really watched <laughs> or had much interest in. And if I could, I would just skip by it straight away. But Leinster came to town looking for a win. That was a very strong selection, and they played very well. That was a serious battle in Galway. Yeah, very much. It's the strongest selection we've ever taken, I think, to the sports ground. 
I know that somebody said the other day, Johnny Sexton leaves the safety of the pale. Um, <laughs> he's, ne- he's never played <laughs> yeah, yeah. in Galway before. No, it, it, it's interesting at this time of year as well. But look, it was a serious battle. Sports ground is not easy to go to. Um, and we'll come on to the strengths and weaknesses of, of, of the Westies. Look, the first half, Leinster weren't in sync at all. You know, we had poor handling drills. We missed passes galore. Um, but despite all that, and Connacht playing well and attacking, but you just never thought it, that Connacht were ever going to threaten to win the game. E- even in that first 20 minutes, even that first half where we were so bad, you, you just didn't seem to go to exploit the opportunities you had. And it was only ever going to, for me, going to be a matter of time when it did come together for us and, and, and that we'd, uh, we'd run out and in the second half we were pretty ruthless. No, you're dead right. It's it's actually been Leinster's template all season. They kind of shadow box for the first half. And the halftime team talk goes, now this is how you beat them properly, which is very impressive, but really annoying to watch. There are many talking points of this match. <laughs> 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 uh, a potential yellow card possibly for me for the Copeland tip tackle uh, for me uh, I've watched it about 11 or 12 times now uh, for me I, I think there was the potential there for the yellow card the only saving because what happened was I think is that you've got the size of Fardy and you've got the, the small size of um, uh, of Sean Cronin and they've both picked them up at the same time it was just poor timing but you can see Cronin on the right hand side he helps him down and I think that's the saving grace plus uh, Lacey wasn't the best uh, at the weekend, to be fair, and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he was really meant to do with two of them. It was a let off. I wouldn't go as far. I, I was listening to Eddie O'Sullivan, and I was like, "Ah, oh, look, calm yourself down. You'll have a heart attack." Just don't be listening to Eddie O'Sullivan. That just just makes life easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leinster really slowed the game down a lot. Like I don't know, what I was like watching on telly, but Johnny Sexton, I'd say at least milked five minutes of the game just making decisions about where to whether to go for the corner or for posts and like for me being there that was so frustrating that like Lacey is there standing next to him just letting him wind down the clock has Johnny Sexton become the uh, the Northern Hemisphere's version of a certain X all black number eight uh, when he's allowed to control things over weak referees uh, who knows but yeah his game management on that was very very good yeah, you didn't let us get going in any way, shape, or form because like I played a game to a higher tempo game, but like for me, that's that match was a very good prep for Leinster for the Heineken Cup. They had that atmosphere, it had that intensity. For as a from a Connacht point of view, we didn't score from the second minute. We didn't look like we we're going to score over the course of the season. We're going to win more than we're going to lose, but Saturday was a step too far. That is the standard of the Heineken Cup. That is a step above everyone else in the league at the moment. Anyway. And Leinster were deserved winners. If you heard me at the ground, I might have been quite different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a shame. It's a, next 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 year. We'll I'll have to get across and, and we'll have to all meet up because um, I, I think I think uh, this was a game that we targeted this season. Uh, not just because of the way you trounced us at the end of last, but because it's hard going out west. I think you lack a little bit of uh, you lack impact off the bench. And I think overall you lack that killer instinct that Leinster have. You're dead right. And like we'll go into strengths and weaknesses and like we'll start with the strengths because half of that, of what you're talking about there about the lack of killer instinct is Leinster's defence is just so strong. Ye love tackling more than children like sweets. Like I've never seen the likes. You know, it's just incredible. Like you don't commit, you don't need to commit men to the breakdown because they're hitting the tackle and up so fast. It's 
annoyingly frustrating as an opponent, fa- as an opposing fan to witness. But I say as a Leinster supporter, it's incredible. Yeah, it is. And and if you look at the strength and depth of the squad, they can all do that. That's phenomenal. Look, you know, strengths. I I I comment I thought was strength for Leinster was one to fifteen. Then the replacements. That was all there. That's fair. Like, and from our point of view, I think we had lots of good individual performances. You know, like the land for me was incredible. Quinru tackled so hard, like like he deserved to come off. Apart from two kicks, Carty, he's showing he's turning into a very good ten. Like, and we just never gave up. We fought to the end. We didn't concede. We were down to thirteen men because Ronaldson came off injured and no one replaced him. And the two tries we conceded were down to a miscommunication in mall defence for me and just a ring rose piece of magic. You know, Leinster didn't look like breaking us down either. No, and and, and I don't think we were ever going to get the bonus point. What we wanted was a hard fought gritty win. But uh, from a Connick point of view, I know that you don't particularly you think Robin Copeland carries too high. Robin Copeland for me is one of the best players playing in the Pro 14. Um, I just think he's had a difficult time. And I think as the season goes on, he's going to become one of your standout players. And Aki, he's he's into everything. He's beyond hero status now in, yeah. in Galway and Connacht. And look, if you prove me wrong with Copeland by the season end, I will hold my hands up <laughs> and say I was wrong. But like at the end of the day, you look at the, the flip side of that, Connacht, our discipline is so bad. Like we should have yeah. got a yellow, like 10 penalties by half time. That is just crazy. And we just carry, like I've, I know you said I said about Copeland, but we, we carry too high into contact in general. We will be turned over more. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, again, look, Andy Friend's only been there a short time. I thought Alton Delan on his charging runs, you know, was absolutely fab. Um, and uh, Tino O'Halloran, and uh, and I'm a big fan of Adiel Aiken. Um, I, I would love to have seen him more uh, in the Irish setup. But I think the the plethora of uh, wingers that we've got uh, makes that difficult. But no no matter how good they were, Aki, Delan, O'Halloran, Ariel Aiken, uh, Copeland, it doesn't matter. It was more uh, individual good bits than it was a team good bit. And I think that's where a lot of it, plus, as you say, a shocking amount of uh, discipline was lost. And there's a, a there's a certain element of that that I'll talk about later, and uh, we can we can save it for we can save it for this section because uh, he okay. deserves more. That deserves more than just oh, uh, yeah. being noted. We'll talk about Leinster's only weakness, and for me, was like you're saying, it was a bit scrappy, and that's because they changed personnel so much because of the rotation and Irish minutes. They just always look like they're just a game from truly clicking. And at the moment, they're doing enough to win. When they start blowing away teams, they're going to be incredible to watch. I think at this time of the year, we've had a bit more consistency, actually, than we're normally used to. Great to see our Sean O'Brien back. I thought your Sean O'Brien had a good game, actually. I think he's a decent player. Yeah, it's he's he is really a good player. And the big joke is when the two Sean O'Briens meet, will the universe implode? <laughs> we'll move on quickly. And Scarlet's easily dispatched Southern Kings 54-14. to 14. Like, that was a really entertaining game when the kick tennis stopped. Yeah, look, you know, they started uh, very well, going up 14-0 quickly. Sometimes the mindset when you go up against certain teams, so uh, Scarlets know they've got a handy, strong side. Uh, they know the strengths of the Kings, but they also know the weaknesses, and the big weakness is defence. So actually, I think sometimes um, when a team is pressing and pressing and pressing, they're, they're over eager 
uh, and at times they cough up penalties that allow you know Kings to get position. Yeah, like for me, they were trying to go for the bonus point by half time, and it showed by the execution was poor as well. Yeah, I mean it was an excellent, um, excellent uh, all round a dry hole. Uh, you know, led by a superb returning Jonathan Davis. Great to see him back, you know, a couple of tries from him. And the same with uh, Steph Evans being back as well. I mean, you could see that the Kings did threaten at times, but, but they were never going to match the Scarlets. The, the back half, the, the D bit, is is almost non-existent. It's really, it's uh, it's actually scary. Like, their their whole thing is, we'll score more tries than you, but they're not good enough then, at the same time, to score more tries than you. Because they like broken play and they always make 30 to 4 metres on turnover ball. And their second and final try was from a turnover. Like, Kings fought hard, but that result was never in doubt. No, it wasn't. And, and you know, look, you know, it keep going on about the Kings' defence all the time. Asquith's second try was lovely, but he walked through four Kings players. And when you couple that problem with uh, the direct running and support from Scarlets throughout for, for each other, it, it was... It was a pretty inevitable conclusion. Things aren't helped uh, when King's discipline goes to hell when they score the bonus point try. But like there are lights and gleams of things there for the King's fans to hold on to. Like Their ruck work was very good and their maul was good if they actually could hold on to the ball long enough to create opportunities to go for the corner. It's a work in progress. And I think it's going to be like the Italians. It's going to be a work in progress until they adapt to the game more, they get more players in... Uh, but it's standing out like, you know, racing dogs do toss the defence for, for both sides. You're quite right. They're not strong enough to score more tries than they concede. But you're always going to have fairly high scoring games. It's just, it's not enough having, if you like, two out of ten on the strength side. Yeah, definitely. But like, look at Scarlets, you know, their strengths. They're starting to look like the Scarlets of last year. This season should be good for them. They've got a real bonus, you know, having the likes of Jonathan Davis and Steph Evans back. They've got some pretty good strength and depth playing squad as well. I wasn't sure after losing the coach and losing players like Ty Byrne last year, how they, you know, regroup again. But, uh, oh, look, absolutely a joy to watch and play. And they're going to be there or thereabouts. And they, they have some great lines. They move the ball so well. So uh... On the flip side of that, they just weren't clinical enough at times. Like they had a lot of opportunities, but they dropped a lot of ball. And the last pass was never going to hand. This could have been a proper route for minute one otherwise. They were countered twice really by uh, for the for the two Kings tries. I think they've got to watch that themselves. And again, it comes down to what I said about the mindset. Sometimes if you go again in against a team that you perceive or deem to be a lesser team, you're in attacking mode all the time. And uh, I think for 18 minutes. The winning teams have always got one eye on the the counter. Kings, once again, like as we said earlier on, they're just so poor defensively. Yeah, I think there's two words that sums up really. Uh, Shocking and shocking. They're going to have a very long, long season. And the another team will join them with the long, long season are Dragons, who got beaten by Glasgow 29-13. to Like, seriously, what is that team going to do? Actually, this was quite interesting for me because I had no commentary on air for the first 60 minutes. Uh, that must so, have been I, joyful. I, honestly, I rather enjoyed it, apart from struggling with some some players. <laughs> I was, I was trying, trying to keep every time I talk, because obviously I, didn't, I don't know them all. Uh, but uh, no, it was quite interesting because you could hear the crowd, and you could hear the the ref clearly, and it was like you were at the ground. And actually, it was quite an enjoyable thing. If I could turn commentary off on some shows in future, I'd do that. So, but that was a really odd game, though. Like it was a very windy Scotstown. But Glasgow forced everything, and the fact that it was like seven points to six at 
35 minutes shows that only four players started against Kings and they were all just a bit disjointed. They should have made an awful lot more of what they uh, what they had, especially against a pretty poor Dragons team, you know, in my opinion. Didn't help by them losing Hibbard. Dragons losing Hibbard early in the first half, you know, that was that, that made things very difficult, I think. The problem is you watch them play and they just don't show much in attack. They seem to be very easy to defend against, you know, their their systems are plain to see for, for everyone. Like two silly penalties and given away by Glasgow and then a knock on that was kicked through. If you look across their stats, two line breaks and seven defenders beaten says all you need to know about their attack. Yeah, absolutely. Well as Glasgow on the other hand, you know, their their hands are incredible. Uh, you know, they're running great support lines. Uh, they're going through the gears, the tries are going to come. Um, even if they hadn't forced everything, they would have run out more more comfortable winners. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with uh, with Dragons. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the players uh, that they've got, really, you know, Hibbard, uh, Moriarty, Nansen, Rodri Williams. There was no Jordan Williams, uh, the superb fullback. You know, so they've got players, but it just it's just, I don't know. Oof. Well, actually, we'll jump into weaknesses first, and that is a, a Dragons one for me. They came to defend. They lack everything. They were spirited, but yeah, I think they lacked flair, uh, lacking, lacking attacking options. They look like a team of individuals. Interestingly, at one point, the commentator spoke to the one of the Dragons coaches, and, and, the, and, the, and the coach said, um, uh, look, we, we, we're stuck between the 22 and the halfway line. We need to sort of be doing better than that and getting out of there and running quote running the uh, running the clock down till half time he says you've got 15 minutes to go but that's the mindset and that to me said a lot about the dragons team no that's just awful awful to hear yeah. but when you look at glasgow's weaknesses like they were just a bit too inaccurate and when it's not going right for them you kind of worry what's going to happen when they're on fire they're outstanding but when they're not on fire it's because for me they seem to lack a little bit of game management and leadership now young adam hastings for me he's great he's going to be a real real great player but he's allowed to do a bit too much of what he wants and he doesn't have the experience currently to be able to manage the game and therefore you need a strong leader in there to be able to control him and not allow him just to do what he wants yeah like and like he did have a, a relatively good game so I look at the Glasgow strengths and, you know, like Mata played very well and Hugh Jones for me was a standout. But like like I said, they clicked and you could just see how good it was. Like all the variation they had, their set piece worked, they, the mall worked. It was just everything worked when it went well. And we'll move on to the final game on Saturday and Munster hosted Ulster in the fi- in the second Interpro series. And at 64 to 7, this was an absolutely dominant performance from Monster from minute one. Yeah, it, it was like, uh, if you ever seen uh, Blackadder goes forth, it was like Captain Blackadder telling Lieutenant George to take his officers stick with him as they prepared to go over the top in World War One, And George, Lieutenant George saying to him, uh, yes, we wouldn't want to face those Jerry machine guns without my stick. It was that sort of... Now, the fact that uh, Ulster have got a Captain Darling lookalike in uh, number 10, Burns, Billy Burns, but it was just... <laughs> it was a total mismatch coupled with the fact that Munster were on the warpath after the humiliating defeat in round four of Cardiff. In all fairness, the Ulster under-10s might have been better off going out there. Like, it was just that bad. Munster were unrelenting. Everything they did stuck. But, like, Ulster losing Cooney and Henderson. That's huge. They're, they're big players. Ian Henderson's superb, superb, uh, you know, forwards player. He's a thinking player. He's strength. He's, he's speed. 
Um, and Cooney's really growing and growing and growing, and, and that has to be my choice for the Autumn Internationals. Um, but yeah, it won't do anything to assist their woes. Especially because they're going through an epic, epic injury crisis at the moment. You know, McCluskey's out, Best is out with no real date for return. Um, Kutsia was re- rested, so at least he'll be back. McCluskey's injured and Addison wasn't playing. He was still feeling the effects from South Africa. Like You can kind of see the young players that were played put their hands up and didn't really make a show of themselves. But I was actually really annoyed at the Ulster senior players not putting their hands up and really playing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, 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 were, they were lacking in, in any model model uh, uh, position whatsoever. And you've got to get those players to stand up when it's like that, when you've got youngsters coming through. I mean, I saw Jacob Stockdale a few times and he was just running around like a headless chicken. Everything Munster tried worked. I think it was just one of those games. You can only play what's in front of you. We'll head on to the strengths and weaknesses because, like you said, everything came off. What do you learn? You know, Pierre Manny looked like the player we know he is to be. Byrne looking like the player that came from Scarlet's Earls, though. He's a special talent. It's good to see him back. Oh, his reading of the game and his positioning and his support. And then when he goes, it's just sublime. He was, he was awesome. Like, even like Albie Matheson's quarterback pass came coming off. You know, like you said, it was one of those games where everything just worked. What can you say? Because there's no real Ulster strengths from this game. But if you look at the weaknesses, because I think that's really where this game, the main talking points are, especially from an Ulster perspective, their pack looked powder puff. Look, they've been on this this South African tour where they have a lot going on and then they're playing one of the games at altitude, etc., etc. Then they come back and they're back a few days in real terms and then they've got to travel to the other end of the country and you've got to be looking at the effect that's having on the guys and I think they were going through the motions and uh, look, it would have been a long journey back up. You know, from a, from a Munster perspective, great win, but it's hard to say what the weaknesses there were. If I was a Munster fan, I'd be sceptical because this is a third home game against very poor opposition that they've won convincingly. And they're two away games they've lost. So who knows where they really stand. And I'll actually let Ushing have the final word because he texted me this morning. For me, all this proves that Munster can win when they're the only team on the pitch, which is kind of irrelevant. And he's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And we'll have a quick look at the league tables. And in Conference A, Glasgow flying high on top with 20 points, followed by Ospreys, then Munster, who finish out, round out the top three. Then Cardiff and Carved and Zebra all within three points of each other and the cheat is then propping up the bottom Conference B Leinster unsurprisingly on top followed by Scarlet and Ulster who are both on 15 points then Benetton and Edinburgh are both on 11 points Dragons and Kings propping up the bottom at 9 and 7 points each like it's very early in the season but the tables are starting to show a picture of where things are going to be it come May and we'll move on to the second row top performer and clown the round and as our guest I'll give you the the honour of top performer who was your standout across all the games you watched this week well out of all games you know it's uh, we don't give the forwards uh, enough credit at times actually um, but my standout uh, was Ox Inche he really is uh, outstanding in every every aspect superb strength determination speed turnovers you know forwards like Ox are now being noticed more um, and I think it's fab but Oxenche definitely the man for me that's a good call like I would have had Van der Fleer in that conversation as well I thought he was yeah, outstanding yeah. but I think having the top performer and the, count the round from the same game might be a bit too much 
yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll move on to the Clown of the Round. And I'll be honest, <laughs> Clown of the Round is not a big enough title for this week. So this week, the player that deserves to be shot into the sun out of a cannon. And that is Dominic <laughs> Robertson-McCoy. That stamp was ridiculous. It was horrendous. I can tell you now, the fans in the sports ground are livid at him. And I'm not underestimating how annoyed they were there on the day. And I am now, as you can tell. Like, for me, the only saving grace of him, and like I mean this as a slight thing, the second the final whistle was blown, you could actually see him waiting on the sideline to run over to Van der Flyer and apologise. His sighting hearing will be interesting, and if he plays rugby this side of Christmas, I'll be surprised. You know what, we all have a bit of a brain fart at times, but, um, you know, he lifted his foot up, he looked down, and he stamped on uh, Josh's head. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, this, um, There's, there are no words to, to defend no, it, and I don't no. think anyone should. And he is this week's second row player that deserves to be shot into the sun out of a cannon. We'll quickly run through <laughs> next week's fixtures. Um, Edinburgh Vici is ne- next Friday should be an interesting game. Um, that you know, that on a night where there's three matches, Glasgow facing Zebra, they should win that handily, and Ulster v Connacht uh, on also playing in Belfast. You've you've got to really put Edinburgh down, I think, on on how they're playing at the moment. But but I'd never write the cheaters off. Uh, they're due for a couple of good games. Glasgow will see off Zebra, I think, and uh, and I think Ulster will see off Connacht. Yeah, it's a fifty year plus hoodoo here. <laughs> there we have to kind of overcome. Um, on Saturday, then Scarlets take on Ospreys, Dragons take on Cardiff, Leinster and Munster in the Aviva, and Benetton the the Southern Kings round out the matches some very good matches there on Saturday yeah very I I think that uh, it's going to be a really cracking close game between Scarlet and Ospreys Cardiff I think will turn over the Dragons Benetton and uh, Southern Kings uh, I think I think Benetton will uh, will will see them off and then Leinster Munster well look what's going to happen there I wonder I know and that brings us on to our second row game of the round and I've let you, I'll let you pick your match that you think people should be watching out for next weekend. I think it's got to be Leinster Monster uh, Porrig to be honest. Like, Monster need to prove that uh, they're the team that not just wins at home against lesser opposition. They've got always got a point to prove uh, when when they come to the Aviva. I think it's another stepping stone before the Europeans for us and it, we just need to have a more tighter and assured clicked in game but I think it's got all the makings of a fab game, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, with a, with a six-day turnaround before Europe, I can see that being a um, a match that gets two second-string teams out, in all fairness. I've gone for Scarlets v Ospreys earlier on in the day. I think that's a real sign of where Ospreys are as a team, and Scarlets will be looking on to push on with their run of form. Yeah, definitely. That's why I said, you know, I think that's, uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, for me, the other game that I really, really want to watch. And that's kind of us for the week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. Oshin and I will be back with you next week to discuss all the results from round six. Don't forget we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher and all podcast apps. Please do rate, like and subscribe to the podcast. We do love hearing from you all so do get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row that is 2ND not the word second. And Joe, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks, Paul. We're on Facebook as Three Blokes, a Ball and Bod. You can't miss us. Our cover photo is a Leinster jersey and a Blue Mohican miniature schnauzer. My dog called Bod. And our weekly show our weekly show goes out every Thursday at 2100 hours. Um, and you can also find us on Twitter at Three Bod. 
that's brilliant so until next time everyone take care and thanks again for listening